Welcome to this week's episode of the Fun of the Run podcast. I'm your host, Michelle, also known as Waddell Running Lady, and I am so happy to be here this week sharing this episode. Before I get started, just a quick reminder to always feel free to reach out to me through email at funoftherunpodcast at gmail.com, or you can always message me on Instagram at Waddell Running Lady. I love hearing from you. I read every message and just thank you for doing that. Let me know what you think about today's episode too. All right. First of all, I have to just say, I am so excited to record this episode. This is going to be my cold water rumble 60 K race recap. And I have to say there was definitely a time this past weekend on Saturday when I could not see ahead to this day, like that I would actually be able to look back and say, I did that because it was really hard. It was so hard. Okay. But more about that later. One more thing before I get started, I have to thank everybody. I might forget to do this, so I'm going to do it up front. There were so many people before the race that came up to me, you know, in person, Suzanne, um, my coach, Kylie, there was Paula, Marcella, different people. If I forgot you, please know, I I didn't really forget. Um, Everybody was so sweet and like so kind and so encouraging. And, And then during the race, which I'll get to later, so many people helped me along the way, just a kind word. And then afterwards, you know, at the finish line, there weren't a ton of people around, but there were enough and it was amazing and they were special. And then afterwards, all of the messages on, on Instagram and, and the texts and just people that were so sweet and kind and encouraging. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. This was, this was for you too. I mean, you all helped me get through this race. And so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, without further ado, I'm just going to get right into this, okay? A few days before cold water, I, well, I kind of started feeling a little bit under the weather. And, you know, there's the taper crazies that we all hear about. And, you know, you got a big race coming up and it's normal to have this phantom pain or think you're maybe injured or that you're coming down sick. But by Friday before the race, I had a cough. I had like some chest tightness to where my chest almost felt itchy. Like, like just any little thing was going to like trigger me into a cough. And I started, I felt kind of like wimpy, like kind of weak. And, and I was getting worried. And I even texted my coach Kylie at one point and just said, I'm sick. I don't know. Like if I, if I feel as good as I do when I wake up in the morning, you know, I'm still going to go for it. But if I get worse, I seriously don't know. I think I really am coming down with something. And (laughs) I don't know what she thought. And I don't remember what she said. Oh, she said, take vitamin C and zinc and, and just quit stressing about it or something like that. I don't remember. But anyways, I really did think I was getting sick. But one thing I will say about cold water rumble is I was not as stressed out ahead of time as I was before my last ultra in November, which was past mountain 50 K. I was not as stressed leading into this race because I knew that I had 32 hours to finish. Okay. So past mountain 50 K took me 13 and a half hours. That was about 34 miles all said and done when I finished, at least according to my watch. 
a 60K, on the other hand, just the definition of a 60K, if you Google it in miles, is like 37.28 miles. So no matter what, if I finished this race, it was going to be a distance PR for me. And I knew that it was going to be longer, you know, my longest distance ever. But I also knew if you look at my last race being 34 miles and this one being 37, 38, that's only, you know, an extra four miles at the most. So I, in my head, I was like, if I can do 34, I can absolutely do 38. And, and I just had 38 in my head, like 38, that's what I need to do. So I was like four extra miles, I can do it. You know, it's, it's not that much farther. So I was thinking that in my head leading up to cold water. And I was also thinking I have 32 hours. I won't need 32 hours. I don't want to need 32 hours, but at the same time, it was like, um, a weight lifted, you know, for past mountain, I had 15 hours and, and that was it. That was the cutoff. And so I, I knew that I didn't have the same level of stress going into this race and that was helpful. And I feel like that was key to me being less stressed out leading up to race day. I'm trying to think what else ahead of time. So I honestly, when, when the subject of the race would come up and I'm talking a few days before, before cold water, I would kind of push it out of my mind. I would say, you know, thanks. If someone said good luck or have a good race this weekend, whatever, I would say, thank you. But I would try to not think too much of the, of the logistics going into it the last few days, just because I was really trying to stay calm and and I was a little bit worried because I wasn't stressed, if that makes sense. So I was like, why am I not stressed yet? Like, I'm afraid to <laughs> almost move or read anything else about the race because I don't want to get stressed. But I, I didn't end up being very stressed at all. And even the night before getting everything ready, I slept really good the night before. I slept really good two nights before. And thankfully on race morning, which was Saturday, January 20th, this past weekend, thankfully I got up and I felt completely fine. I didn't feel sick. I wasn't coughing. All that chest tightness, the symptoms I had the day before were gone. And I was like, oh, hallelujah, thank God. I feel good. I'm going to, I'm going to do this thing. Right. So I live about 20 minutes from where this race took place at Estrella Mountain Regional Park. And it was starting, the race start line was not at the normal entrance gate to the park. It was a kind of a roundabout way to get to the competitive track area of the park. And so, you know, I was a little uncertain of how to get there. I hadn't been to that section of the park yet. And so I gave myself plenty of time. And I think I left about an hour. I left myself enough time to where I would get to the park an hour before my race started. And it didn't work quite that well, but I ended up getting there probably like, let's say 50 minutes before my race started 45, 50 minutes. It was fine. Plenty of time to pick up my bib, my shirt, buy a hat, chat to a few people, take a few selfies, talk to some friends, go to the bathroom. I was able to, I got there a little bit too late to see the hundred milers take off, but I was able to watch the start of the hundred K and saw ultra Jake Jackson and some other people. I just, you know, starting and then I was able to kind of talk to my coach a little bit and, she, you know, she was very encouraging. You've got this, you've trained for this, you, you did all the right things and you're going to be fine and it's, it's going to all be great. 
and she just made sure I had enough fuel and, you know, wanted to know if I would need anything after my first loop and just made me feel really good about going into the day. Uh, A little background about Coldwater Rumble is that this race was my first ultra last year. Uh, The course changed this year, a new race director and also a new course, a new start finish area, a much bigger start finish area, and just a different setup for the course itself. So the 52K, which I did last year, was no longer a thing. And instead, the shortest ultra distance was a 60K this year. So there was a five mile race, a 10 mile, a 40K, a 60K, a 100K, and a 100 mile. And the final cutoff for all races was, I believe, 3 p.m. on Sunday. So my start time was 7.30 a.m. on Saturday. My goal for this race was to be done by bedtime, which in my mind was around 10.30 p.m. That was my goal, but that was kind of my long goal. Like, I, I thought I could finish sooner. That would have given me, let's see... 15 hours. And I really thought, I really did going into this race. I really thought I could finish in less than 15 hours. But back to what I was saying about the course, this course consisted of one 10 mile loop and one loop that was about 26 and a half, 27 miles. And let's see. Okay. I'm wrong. It was a 10 mile loop and about a 27 and a half mile loop is what it was. So it's basically like you do a 10 mile loop, you circle back, get to the start eight again, get whatever you need, go to the bathroom, do whatever, you know, get something out of your drop bag, refill, whatever. And then you head out for like, basically a little more than a marathon. (laughs) That's how I thought of it in my mind. Anyways, I, I looked around when I got to the start line and I apologize for, I'm just going to break in here and say that. I appreciate if you are listening to this and you've made it this far, thank you, because being able to record a podcast about my race day experience is, it's honestly very, maybe therapeutic is the word for me. It really helps me to process the day. And before I had a podcast and before I was able to express myself publicly like this and put my thoughts out there publicly, My processing consisted of dropping my kids off at school and talking to myself in the car on the way home about my race day experience (laughs) and maybe doing that several times or maybe coming home and, and just kind of talking to myself about it. I know that sounds really silly, but I need to talk about it. And so having this podcast to do that is super helpful for me. And so I'm telling you my experience. I'm also processing it at the same time, if that makes sense. So I'm, I'm trying to do both and I'm not sure how good of a job I'm doing. I got to the race. It was still a little bit dark and got out of the car and, and I'm always one of those people at the last minute, like I run hot. And so I like to run races in short sleeves because I'm afraid if I start with a long sleeve, I'll get too hot and have to end up pulling it off and find a place for it during the race. And I didn't want to have to do that. I also did not want to have a drop bag because the only place to access the drop bag was start finish, which I would only hit at 10 miles in and at the finish. 
And the only other place to get a drop bag was Coldwater Aid, which was seven miles from the finish line. And in my mind, whatever I would need for, you know, the last seven miles, I, I just wouldn't need, you know what I'm saying? I wasn't doing a hundred mile race. It's just a 60 K. I just, I just decided to pack everything with me and I took 12 glucose packets, which are, it's think of a goo gel, but liquid form, but much better tasting in my humble opinion. (laughs) And these glucose packets taste like fruit punch. Um, I've been able to get them down on previous races where I've been on my feet for so many hours and they didn't upset my stomach. So I packed 12 of those in my orange mud vest. I packed six single serve packets of Tailwind. So I had one in each of two soft flasks that I carried in the front pocket of my orange mud vest. And then I tucked four more in the zipper pouch in my or- the back of my orange mud vest. I brought a buff with me so that if my neck was cold or my ears got cold or anything like that, or I fell and broke my head like like I did last March, I would have something to wipe up the blood with. Whatever I had, so I put a buff around my neck. I wore my Chew Strong hat that I purchased from Sally McRae's website. And I'm trying to, oh, and I also wore my trail, new trail therapy shirt, the brown one. Um, that I bought from Chris Boris and runs and let's see what else. Um, I'm trying to think what else I had in my pack besides, oh, I had some salt tabs with me, some salt stick salt tabs, because, um, my coach had, had mentioned before that those were really good for nausea and tend to get nauseous on these long races. What else did I have? I had my keys and I had a dude wipe. I had some napkins and, oh, I had my reusable cup so I could get soda or whatever at the, at the aid stations. And what else did I have? I did bring some ibuprofen just in case. And I I know that's controversial. So that's, that's all I'm going to say. I had never taken any during a race up to this point, but I did bring it just in case there was some kind of an emergency or something. And Oh, and I had a two liter. No, I had, I think it was actually a three liter bladder full of just plain water in my pack. And I think that is all I had. Oh, and I had a, oh, I I almost forgot the important part. I had a waist light. So it's kind of like an elasticized belt that goes around my waist and lasts about three hours. I figured I would need five hours of light um, for the end of my race. And so I brought an extra battery for that waist belt, which would give me about six hours of light. So I had that all in my pack as well. So my pack was kind of heavy. Okay. So I get to the race, I get my bib, talk to people. Um, it's, it's go time. Uh, so I decide that I'm going to get in the back of the, the back of everybody. I'm going to start in the back, but somehow I ended up when, you know, when the race actually started, I saw Patty Curry, by the way, and was able to high five her as I ran by. And, you know, everybody's cheering for the 60K start. It was amazing. But somehow in the running, there were people behind me. And I'm not sure if they started after the start time or what, but I let them pass me and then made so that I just, you know, I ran with everybody for a while. And then I let the 
the the people behind me pass just so that I could have my own headspace and and not stress and go my own pace. And if I ended up passing somebody, great, but I needed to have my own space to kind of get my bearings and figure out how I was going to, how I was going to do this thing. So that's what I did. Um, I went into the race thinking, okay, Michelle, you know, you can do this. You've trained for this. And I had told my coach that I was planning to be back for the first loop um, in three hours, around three hours, 10 miles, which for me was, was ambitious. And, but that was my goal. And I said, maybe, maybe a little more than three hours. And she's like, okay, you know, and let me know if you need anything when you come back. So one thing about Kylie being there, my coach, she's the owner of desert to peak coaching, which I've talked about many times on this podcast, but Kylie, um, her boyfriend is Matt Halverson and he was actually running the hundred K on Saturday. So, and he ended up actually getting second place, super fast, speedy guy. But so she was there to support him as well, which allowed her to be there for me, which was really cool too. But so I knew she wasn't just there hanging out for me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I appreciated her being there and you'll find out why later. So I feel like this is getting off to a very slow start, but I'm trying to process all of this stuff. Okay. So my goal was be back in three hours. So I am watching my, my watch this whole entire time, really trying to keep my pace under 20 minute miles, because I knew that if I could do that, anything less than 20 minute miles would get me to my goal time for the day. Even though overall my goal was to finish more than anything else, but I did want to keep under 20 minute miles. The first loop of this course was beautiful. So pretty. And the light from the sunrise, so, so beautiful, but it was very hard. And the course this year was very different from the course last year, which I think I meant to talk about earlier. And then I got distracted and moved on this course overall, in my opinion, was much harder than the course last year. And this 10 mile section was full of climbs and full of hills and lots of rocks, which I knew that cold water is rocky and it's technical. And it'll tell you that even in the race description, but this 10 miles was like, okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. And getting closer to the end of the 10 miles, I looked up and saw this big old, nice, lovely climb that I was going to have to take. And I was like, oh, you know, but that's what I was here for. So I just, that first loop honestly was not like mentally taxing. I felt like I was in very good spirits and I was not listening to anything on my headphones. And at this point in the race, honestly, I thought, Hey, I don't need to listen to anything on my headphones. The way things are going right now, everything's feeling good. My body's feeling good. I'm keeping pace. I was, I was by myself most of this loop as well, because the 40 K runner started on a different loop and then, you know, the hundred mile people were already ahead of me and so were the hundred K. And so I was pretty much on my own for most of this loop, I would say, um, which I enjoyed at this, at this specific point in the race. Okay. And I was doing fine mentally in good spirits, physically doing well so that, yeah, there's really not too much to add about, about that. Um, I hit the first aid station, which was, I think five and a half miles in and 
all I asked for was fruit snacks and they handed me three packs of fruit snacks and I just kept running. So no issues and nothing super amazing about the first 10 miles, except I kept pace. So I circle back around to the start finish and I am so happy with myself because not only was it three hours, it was, it was less than three hours. And I was so excited because I, it was actually not 10 miles. It was like 9.69 or something like that, but I did it in less than three hours, which is less than 20 minute miles. I was so excited. And as I run in this course, the way they have it laid out this year is you run past through this kind of um, crew area. And to me, it seemed like it's almost like a quarter mile or something. And you loop around in kind of a horseshoe shape. So everyone can see that you're heading in, and but you have to kind of run around this horseshoe before you cross the timing mat again, which is also where the finish line and start, start line is. And so as I'm getting ready to start that you, my coach, I think, yells my name and Lissy Lou Runs was there and she yelled my name and I was so excited to see Alyssa and people are just cheering you in. And so then I, I crossed that timing mat. Kylie filled up my bottle for me with Tailwind because I had gone through one whole soft flask of Tailwind and she refilled that for me, told me she'd meet me at the Porta Poopies. And then I ended up getting some hot food or something. No, I didn't get hot food. What did I get? I got a PB and J and I think some more fruit snacks because those were setting well in my stomach. And then I headed out for my second loop. So at this point, I remember telling Kylie and I remember thinking about this a couple miles before I hit this, hit the start finish. There were two bad things and two good things about this loop. The bad things were that this I, that this loop had a ton of hills and I was joking with the race director, Aaron goes up. Um, I was, I was, I was going to give him a hard time because I'm like, Aaron gave this first loop, like a ton of hills. It was really hard. So that was a, a negative. And then I ended up falling on this loop as well, but I didn't get hurt. I was able to just literally jump back up and turn around and make sure no one saw me brush my hands off and keep going. <laughs> and then the good things were that I saw Andy Glaze on this loop. And I was able to hear his voice kind of from behind. Cause I, you know, you see him on Instagram and you start kind of, if you see him enough and you, I recognized that he was coming and I saw the jorts. And so I got my phone out real quick and, and stepped off the trail and, and filmed him coming, Hey Andy and cheered for him. And that was a huge highlight of my first loop. And then the other highlight was I was able to take in all of my um, fueling without having any tummy troubles yet. And that was a huge plus because I felt like I was, I was well on my way to having a successful race because I was not nauseous in any way. And I was able to fuel every 30 minutes, which is a huge deal and something that I can't normally do. Okay. So I headed out for my second loop. Now in my head, I knew that as soon as I started this second loop, I knew that I was not going to see the start line, this area, this start finish area until I was done with my race. There was a kind of, well, I'm one of those people when I'm running on a training run, when I get to the halfway point, I feel like a relief because I, I know that I'm 
getting to the tail end of the run. I don't know how to explain it. I, I have something to look forward to. Like there's more, it, it feels like there's less race ahead of me than behind me. And so that kind of spurs me on. So even though technically I had more race ahead of me than behind me when I hit the start finish, I was on my last loop, if that makes sense. And I knew that the next time I would see this place would be crossing the finish line and getting my medal. So there was this like, okay, I've got this, you know, I'm encouraged. I can do this kind of thing. Okay. So grabbed a couple pieces of watermelon, grabbed PB and J headed on my way. And I am, Aaron told me, Hey, you know, it's, there's some cruisy stuff and yes, you do have to climb that saddle, but yeah, it's, it's all good or whatever. I don't remember what he said. I took it with a grain of salt because I knew it was going to be hard no matter what. Right. So you basically leave the start aid and for that second loop, which was the blue loop, you climb. I start climbing and I ran a little bit and then I slowed down and finished my food and just put my head down and started climbing. There was a fast guy ahead of me that had passed me and then he slowed to a walk to do the climb as well. We hear someone yelling ahead and, and I thought I heard Waddell or something similar, but I wasn't sure. And so I'm like, oh, I don't know who that is. Like he must be talking to the, the cool speedy guy in front of me. Well, the cool speedy guy, which I don't know who he was. And I'm sorry that I don't know who you are if you know who I am, but <laughs> turns around and looks at me and he goes, he's talking to you. And I'm like, oh, so I mean, I can't hear the guy. And so I just wave my arms, hey, you know, or something like that, right? Put my head back down and cl keep climbing. I'm climbing and I'm climbing and I'm climbing. And before I know it, <laughs> there's someone running towards me and it's the guy that had been yelling earlier. And it was really cool because his, let's see, his Instagram handle is peak life now. His name is Danny. And he was so nice. He was like, I'm sorry, but I had to turn around and come and see you and <laughs> come and meet you. He's like, I found you through Chris Morrison runs. I love you. I love what you're doing. You're so inspired. He was just so nice. And I was like, I am like not a cool person and I am so not anybody special and I am not a good runner and I am not talented in any way. And this dude is coming back to tell me how inspiring I am. I don't know how to explain it, but it's just, it gave me a boost that I needed at this point in the race. And so he's like, can we please get a picture? And I'm like, yeah, of course, you know, and, and we chatted for a few minutes and fist bumped and, and then he was on his way and I was on my way and it was really cool. And it was, it was great, you know, and there were several points along the race where something similar would happen. And it was just like amazing. Okay, the second loop, it, there really was a lot of climbing and there was a lot of very rocky parts and just, just this trail is very technical, not easy, and it was tough. And there were some parts that I just was like, not going to run. And that I, there were a lot of kind of steep descents and it was like, I'm not going to run down that and break my leg either, you know, so I would just be careful um, and then do my best to get up the incline as fast as I could. Something that I really love about the cold water rumble is that there are so many distances. There are two loops and you see people that are doing the longer distances multiple times. And so 
once I got out onto this second loop, this blue loop, I would see people again that I had seen that passed me on the 10 mile loop. And there was a section of this course where um, it was just a very short section, but it was kind of at the beginning of this loop where people would be heading the opposite direction back to the start finish again to start another loop. And those were, like I said, the longer distance people. Well, there's someone that I had met and I've talked about him before, Jason Hefner. And he, I believe he, I'm trying to think, he ran Coldwater Rumble 52K in like four hours and 34 minutes or something last year. And it was amazing. But he took the time to talk to me before the race. It was the first time we had met. And and he kind of explained the course to me. Super nice. It was my first ultra. And I, I never forgot that encounter with him. Well, Jason came up to me before this year's cold water rumble as well. I was at my trunk of my car, packing everything and getting ready to head to the start line. And he came and introduced his sister and and encouraged me again. And, and we just, you know, chatted and wished each other a good race. Fist bumped me before we started the 60K because he was running the 60K as well on Saturday. And he, you know, fist bumped me and then went to the front and <laughs> I, I went to the back and it was just awesome. But in this one part of the course that I'm telling you about where, where the, there are runners running towards you, I saw Jason and I was like, I'm just starting my second loop and he's already done with this loop. He fist bumped me. He took the time to like stop and fist bump me and went on his way and told me good job or you're awesome or something like that and went on to get third place in the 60K. And he, Jason finished in four hours and about 47 minutes. I finished in 16 hours and 32 minutes. So that tells you something right there. But that was the highlight of my day seeing him out on the course. Okay, let's let's get into this. Everything went really well for me. So I told you I was I was still doing 20 minute miles or less up until the five hour mark of the race. So my race started at 7:30 up until about 12:30 in the afternoon. I was still on pace and I was still doing about 20 minute miles. And then I I don't know, but it was like I lost my juju. I don't know what else to say, but I somehow I started slowing down and I don't remember like a specific reason that I slowed down. Like I, I didn't fall again. I didn't have a crying jag. I didn't not, not, I wasn't hurting, you know what I mean? Nothing happened. I was still eating good consistently every 30 minutes. I really don't know what happened, but I slowed down and I, I don't know if that's where I hit the sand. I can't remember, but I just, I slowed down and I remember looking at my watch and that I was hitting the five hour mark and that I was not to 15 miles. And I just remember being like, oh no, oh no, I missed it. Like, I'm not going to get to 50. I'm not going to, these aren't under 20 minute miles anymore. And I remember feeling a little bit panicky at that point because I wasn't going to make my, my goal time for the day, but I kept pressing on. And I just, I remember telling myself, okay, Michelle, give yourself grace it's okay to walk a little bit, power walk a little bit. That's fine. Run when you can, but, but maybe you just kind of need to settle into this. It's, it's going to be a long day and you need to just do what you need to do in this moment to keep moving forward. And so I was okay with that. I let myself just settle into it 
and keep moving forward. Now, I did not ever leisurely stroll. So I don't want you to think I was out there just like lollygagging, despite what some of the pictures from the race look like. I, I was not leisurely strolling. I really was trying to walk fast. I would swing my arms. I was trying to get some forward momentum and, you know, and then I would run when I could. But I would say there was a stretch of a few miles where I, I walked for sure without any running. While I was out on that, on this second loop, I would be, I, I did start running again and it was be, it would be sporadically. So if anytime there was like a, a really flat spot or where it wasn't super rocky, um, anytime it was like any kind of a, like a downhill that wasn't super steep, I would run those. And then I would have, of course, people passing me constantly because on this second loop, there was 40k runners, 60k runners. Um, well, this, there were no 60k people passing me because they were all ahead of me at this point. Um, but there were some 40k that I think did pass me because they, yeah, they did because they started after me. That's right. Um, but then you would have 100 mile people that would lap me because they had to do this loop multiple times. And the 100K runners also would lap me because they had to do this loop multiple times. So I will be honest and tell you that sometimes that was a hard part of the race for me was not the fact that they were lapping me. That didn't bother me at all. But the fact that some of the trails were single track and sometimes I felt like I couldn't run comfortably because I would be blocking the trail for when somebody else would come and need to pass. And so I would have to feel like I was kind of, kind of my head was always on a swivel and, you know, making sure I could hop out of the way anytime I needed to. And so that, that can get a little bit nerve wracking when you're in a race like that. It wasn't horrible. And, and I got to the point where it was like, I mean, this happened last time I did cold water too. And it happened during past mountain. It's just, it's part of these races, but my head was like on a swivel. It, a lot of this course I feel like was narrow. And so I would just step aside. Sometimes I would just literally step off the trail, turn sideways to give the people room to get by because that's how narrow it was. And I'm, I'm not a teeny girl and I take up room. <laughs> and so that was kind of something that, that would bother me. When I hit the six hour mark and I looked at my watch, I think I was barely, and I, I think this is right. I think I was barely over 16 miles, maybe 16 and a half. And if you remember, my goal was three miles an hour, 20 minute miles at mile five, I should have been at 15 miles. I was not, I was at 14 something. At mile six, I should have been at 18 miles. I was not. I was at maybe 16 and a half. So I was falling farther and farther behind at this point. And I kept trying to make up time. And I kept trying to, to speed myself up and to walk faster and to run faster. And it just wasn't working. It was around that time, I think, when I, I started realizing I, I'm not going to get the time I wanted to get. I'm not making up this time, you know, and I think I kind of got a little bit discouraged then and I didn't have a meltdown or anything. I, I usually, I don't really have meltdowns. I just sometimes get discouraged, but I, 
I think I might've gotten, you know, a little bit teary eyed and just like, you know, frustrated with myself, but what can you do? I I was just determined I was going to finish this thing, you know, and I knew all of you were rooting for me and counting on me. And that's around the time that I posted my first update on Instagram, I think to my stories where I said, I don't know how I'm going to finish this thing. I'm behind time, but I'm going to do this. And so it it was very minor and it wasn't too long after that, that I really did start feeling better and I was able to run more and I was able to, there, there were several stretches of sand in this course. Um, I would say several miles, honestly, a good three or four miles. It wasn't all together at one stretch, but I hit that and, and then people started there were people that would recognize me and I would have just the sweetest people that would come up and pass me and say, Hey, you're Waddell lady or something like that. And another one would say, you're the skirted lady. Or, you know, someone else said, Hey, Michelle, you know, and then other people said, you're Waddell running lady. And and they would, I can't, I seriously, it was like six people or seven or eight people in a row that passed me and not in a row, like, it wasn't one runner after the other, but it, several people within a pretty short period of time that it really boosted me. Like it really helped me and really encouraged me. And I'm like, wow, you know, and they didn't say, wow, you're slower than I thought you looked online. No, they were like, you are so awesome. I follow you on Instagram. Thank you for everything you do. And just words like that boosted my spirits so much. And there were a couple of times when I thought, oh, that is so embarrassing. They caught me like walking, you know, and my, maybe I should change my handle to Waddell walking lady. And then I thought, no, I'm running too. Like I am getting this done. I'm covering these miles. I am walk running. That's okay. I'm still running an ultra marathon. I don't need to be ashamed and I don't need to be embarrassed if they catch me walking. Who cares? This is real life and I'm putting one foot in front of the other and I am not going to be ashamed. This is how I'm getting it done. And this is very hard. So those people passed me and, and, you know, different things. And, and I started getting, I, I went through where I was feeling better, but then I kind of started, the reality started setting in again as the day grew longer and it was going to get time to start using headlamps soon. I started getting a little bit discouraged and a little bit low because it started getting to the point where I would look at my watch and I remember that the aid station. So the longest stretch between aid stations was nine miles. So from the time I left start finish at about 10 miles, I wasn't going to get to the next aid station until 19 miles. Well, that 19 mile mark it took forever to get to. I would, I saw the aid station in the distance and it's like, I am never going to get to that aid station. Like it is so far. I, I'm never going to, it just seemed so far. And every time I would look at my watch, I, I wasn't even getting any farther. It seemed like, you know, and, but I, in my head, I said, okay, Michelle, when you get to this aid station. And I can't remember what the name of this one was for, I don't know why, but I can't remember. Once I get there, I'll be halfway. And you know, half of 38 miles is 19 miles, right? Yeah. You'll be halfway. And so I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to look forward to is, is I get there and I'm, I'm halfway. Uh, That's what I'm going to think of. Got to that aid station, 
got some fruit snacks, refilled my tailwind. I took a little bit of time there because I just, I really was starting to kind of get a little discouraged. I asked the people at the aid station, I said, who here is good at motivation? I said, I'm in last place, you guys. I'm, I'm discouraged. I'm, I, I just, I'm just discouraged. And, and I, I need some, some motivation. And they said, who cares if you're last, you've got this, you know, what's the farthest you've ever run. And I told them they're like, this is no big deal. Like you've totally got this. You're good. And they said, the next stretch after this is, is runnable. It's really good. You're going to be, it's beautiful out there and you know, you're going to have fun. And so they were very encouraging and gave me ginger ale <laughs> and they were super nice. And I ended up, you know, heading out from there, knowing that the next aid station was 6.6 miles away. So I was laser. I think I made an update right after this point too. I believe I did. I'm not sure. I think I did. And I remember in my mind being laser focused on just getting to the next aid station. And that when I got there, it would be 25.6 miles or something like that on my watch. So I knew that, that that aid station was coming. And I knew that was my next, like, like I tried to break the race in chunks, you know, like aid station to aid station. And I've heard that so many times, just rather than thinking, you know, I've got this many more miles to go think aid station, you know, to aid station, I've got this many miles to this aid station instead of this many miles to the finish. So I would, I tried that method, but I could not get over the fact that every time I looked at my watch at this point, I think I was at 20 miles or getting close to 20 miles. But usually when my watch says 20 miles, I'm about done like with a training run. And so in this race specifically, I knew that I had to get through every mile that started with 20 and almost every mile that started with 30 before I was done. So I got, I kept getting discouraged. I would look at my watch and it was still say 20 miles or 20 point, whatever. And I'm like, I'm so far from 30 miles. And then I still won't even be close to done. It was like, I was in my head and this stretch between that first, that aid station and the next aid station, which was the Dysert aid station was really long. And I, I kept looking at my watch and I would be at 21.23 miles and I would try to run faster and I would look and I would be running at 22 minute pace. And I'm like, how am I running at 22 minute pace? I'm not running at 22 minute pace. I can walk faster than this. And I would just, it's like, is my watch lying to me? You know, and I would look again and I would be at 21.6 miles. And I'm like, how can I be at 21.6 miles? I've been running for like 17 days. That stretch was really hard. And it seemed like I was never, ever, ever going to get to mile 25.6 or whatever, where this Dysart aid station was. You guys, I, I was so discouraged. I just thought I'm never going to get there. Like, and I would, so I would pick up the pace. I would run the downhills try to, I would still look at my watch and it would be 19 minute miles. And I'm like, okay, cool. And so I had a couple miles where I, you know, got back into under 20 minute miles and then I would look again and it would be back at 21 or 22 or 20. And I was like, you know what? I don't even know anymore what I'm doing. And there were a few little tears here and there. 
I finally reached the Dysart aid station and I hear bells clanging and like those little bells that they ring, like to cheer you on cowbells. And I look and there's a friend and that I know her name is Renee and she was running out to meet me. And I had no idea that Renee was manning this aid station. And Renee is a member of the true tribe, which I've talked about true tribe, Lisa on here, true tribe, Lisa, true coach Lisa on here. I interviewed her the very last episode of 2023. Check that out if you haven't yet. But so she's a member of True Tribe and she was so encouraging. She gave me a little mini pep talk. She gave me grilled cheese sandwiches and I refilled everything up and then was off again. And that was a boost. And talking to Renee and honestly eating grilled cheese, that grilled cheese gave me life. Let me just tell you, that grilled cheese gave me life. And <laughs> I had a pretty good stretch for a couple of miles after that aid station and especially I think one of the main reasons that it was really good is I knew that the next um, aid station was only four and a half miles away and that when I hit that aid station, I would be at mile 30. And so I thought, okay, mile 30, here I come. And I was able to just put my head down and, and run and walk and, and do whatever I could do. And it was also around this time though um, that I started hurting and it wasn't just, it wasn't just, I don't know, nothing froze up or I wasn't having cramping or anything like that, but I just started really feeling the weight of my pack. My shoulders just started aching and I don't usually get that with training runs or anything else, but for some reason my shoulders were just like, the pack is so heavy and they just started aching. And my feet didn't really hurt yet, but my legs just started hurting, you know, just like a long race. And my lower back started bothering me too. And I had some really bad chafing under one of my arms from my pack. And I thought that the sleeves on my shirt were long enough to avoid that. I neglected to put any kind of um, like chafing cream under there like I should have. And that was bothering me. And it just seemed like I started noticing all of these things that were bothering me. My legs hurt, my shoulders hurt, my arm is chafing. This is very long. And I just kind of started getting discouraged again. And I, you know, there were times during this race where I would be encouraged, but then there were also times that I would just, I hit, I hit lows more times in this race than any other race so far that I can think of. And I don't know why that is. And, and also I will say though, these lows were, were not as low as some of the ones that I've hit before. Like I, I remember hitting a really, 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 really low, low during my first ultra. And it was hard to get out of that. But this one, there were more six, let's say, instead of one huge one, it was like six little ones. I don't know why. Okay. Let me, I'm going to just back up a little bit. When I was doing really well during that first 10 mile loop, I didn't listen to anything. No audiobooks, no music, no podcasts, nothing. That's not normal for me. When I'm out on a training run, I'm always listening to something. But during a race, it's a little bit different. I know I'm going to be out there for a really long time. I know my aftershocks aren't going to last, you know, 14, 15 hours. And I didn't want to bring more than one pair. And so I purposely put off listening to anything until 
I absolutely needed to listen to something. So I got to the point where I needed to listen to something. My goal was to wait till 20 miles, but I think I ended up listening to something around the time when I realized I was behind time. So maybe 15-ish miles is when I put my headphones in for the first time. And I started off by listening to podcast maybe. Yeah, I didn't, and it just wasn't doing anything for me. And so then I ended up switching to a Mary Higgins Clark book, audiobook that I had listened to before called The Cinderella Murder. And I knew what happens in the book, but I forgot enough to where it was almost fun to listen to again. <laughs> and so um, I was listening to that. And then I just was very careful to keep the sound down low enough because, like I said earlier, at this point in the race, a lot of people were passing me, like not all constantly being passed. I was alone still a lot of the race, but there were always people passing me at some point. And so I kept the volume low enough to where I could still hear runners approaching from behind. Okay. So at this point, I'm digging deep. Once I passed the 25.6 mile aid station, Um, I really, really had to start digging deep and I was, I was listening to my audio book. It was distracting me a little bit. I was, I had a few teary moments because like I had mentioned earlier, this same thing happened where I would look at my watch and it would say 25.71 and then I would run and then I would look and I was, I was running 23 minute miles. And I'm like, how am I running 23 minute miles? That's not even running. You know what I mean? I'm saying all this in my head. And then I would start walking and it would be a faster pace than running. And it was just like, I just was in my head a lot and I felt discouraged and I felt like I wasn't getting any closer to the 30 mile mark where the last aid station was. It was between this, it was during this stretch of the race that I had to end up pulling out my waist light. So I pulled off, I I pulled off, yeah, put the car in park and pulled off. No, I stepped off the trail, pulled off my pack, pulled out my waist light and turned it on and started um, using the the, the waist light. And then, you know, before I made it to the last aid station, it was very dark and I had been using the headlight for a while, the headlight, the waist light for a while. Before it got dark, there was um, another stretch of the of the race where I was alone, but but I heard someone coming up behind, and it was two young men, and one of them was Haynes. Haynes is, I think, fifteen years old. I met him at across the years. Uh, he was working the aid station the shift after me, and he was so encouraging and so nice, and we chatted, and then we've chatted a little bit on Instagram too. And Haynes was out there Saturday running the 100K and his friend Brock was pacing him. And Haynes had just thrown up a couple of times. He was struggling a little bit, but he came up and kind of, you know, touched my shoulder or whatever and, and just and just said, you know, Michelle, you're doing great. You're such an inspiration and and just you're such a blessing. And I don't know, he was just he just had like the kindest words for me. And as I'm powering up this mountain, you know, I was powering up this hill and he was just so kind. And, and I just thought, you know, for that is not the norm for kids today in the world we live in, just in an aside, but he was so respectful and he was so nice and so kind and encouraging. And I ended up seeing him and his friend at the next aid station and, and Haynes was, he's an amazing runner. And he just, 
he looked so strong. And I told him that I said, you know, Haynes, you've got this, you know, you've got this. I know you're feeling crummy at the moment, but you've got this. And it was just amazing to me how, how supportive he was of me, you know, and there were a lot of encounters like that. I realize I'm getting sidetracked at this moment, but I need to tell you about Liz. Liz came up behind me. She was getting ready to pass me as well. And she said she knew me from Instagram and that she followed me and that I was an inspiration and, and thanked me for what I was doing. And then I asked her since she was being so sweet, (laughs) I said, can you please help me with my pack? Um, There's something rattling back there. Can you, you know, unhook this little hook thing and whatever. And so um, we stepped aside and she, she did that for me and it took her a little bit. And then she asked, you know, can we get a selfie? And I'm like, of course, you know, we can take a picture. And she was just so sweet. Only after that, did I notice she was holding her right hand out kind of like at an angle, palm up, kind of holding it away from her body. And she said, yeah, I'm running the hundred miler, which is so awesome. And she said, I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish. She said, because I fell and my wrist is really hurt bad. And I, and I said, oh my goodness. I, you know, I said, I hope that it, that it feels better. And, and then I felt really bad because the reason it had taken her longer to fix my pack was because she was doing it one-handed. I mean, how ridiculous that I even asked her to do that. And that I was so brainless to not notice that she was injured. But she, you know, went on ahead and I saw her running up there holding one hand out. And I just thought runners are amazing people, you know, I mean, just talk about the mental grit to keep running when your wrist is like, you know, damaged and, and there you go. You know, she went on her way and she was just so positive and encouraging too. And like I said, so many people during this race and one other thing. Another thing about that I noticed last time I ran cold water, but that I've honestly noticed at every trail race I've done with Air Vipa all day Saturday and in the night, it did not matter what distance someone was running. When they would pass me, they didn't just say on your left. They said, good job. Nice work. Keep going. You've got this. You're looking strong. There was always a kind word. I mean, there were, there were a few people that didn't say anything. But most of the people, I would say a good 99% of runners that passed me had a kind word. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm not making it up. I'm not just saying that to make trail runners look good. I would say honestly and and sincerely, 99% of the people that passed me had a kind word for me. And that is why I love this community. Seriously, amazing. There was never like, oh, wow, why are you out here, fatty? No, it was like, wow, you are awesome. You look so strong. Good work. Keep it up. We're almost there. Back to where I where I was in the race. I approached the 30-mile aid station. It was called Coldwater, and it was 6.9 miles from the finish line. So it was the last opportunity to get aid, to get water, to get you know, fuel to get food. They had barbecue beef sandwiches. They had all your typical aid station offerings. I think they even had a J John there, Porta Poopy, Porta John, whatever you want to call it. And they had some chairs and, and it was dark. It was well past dark at this point. So 
I got whatever I needed. I got a barbecue beef sandwich. I think I refilled one of my flasks with, no, I refilled both of my flasks with gnarly because I only had one tailwind left and it was in my pack and I didn't want to take my pack off, whatever. So I refilled both flasks with gnarly and then I got a barbecue beef sandwich and I think I got like, I don't know, maybe a couple of, of, um, gels or something. I don't know. Fruit snacks. I don't honestly remember what else I got from that aid station, but I got a couple of things and then I, and told everybody, thank you. And then I headed back out. And like I said, it was dark. Okay. And not a little bit dark. It was a lot dark. It was probably when I left Coldwater aid station, it was probably about 8 PM, I would say. So I'm already past my goal time. I mean, as far as I'm seven miles from the finish and I am 12, 12 and a half hours into the race, let's say. I wasn't too discouraged at this point because I still thought with seven miles left, I can still be done by 1030 PM. Like it's eight o'clock. Like I can totally do, I can do seven miles in less than that time. Like absolutely. Like, you know what I mean? I can do this. And I was, I was feeling good about it. And I was because I hit 30 miles and it's like, okay, I'm not going to have to see my, my watch turn over to four, like to 40. I'm, I'm going to be done. Like it, you know what I mean? It was, I could taste, you know, that I was, I was starting to get there and I was feeling that kind of like, okay, I, I can do this. I left the aid station and you go up this, uh, up a hill and it's, it's kind of a really wide service road after you leave this last aid station. So I'm, I'm running up this road and there is a, and I'm, you know, trying to get down this barbecue beef sandwich, which I, I couldn't, I took a bite and it made, it just made my stomach turn over through no fault of the aid station people. My, I just couldn't handle it. So I wasn't able to eat that, but I, just as I was turning, <laughs> there was a critical runner junction. And so I'm turning to get onto that trail. My light dies, right? I'm like, yeah, I said, it's about that time. I'm, but Hey, I've only got seven miles left. I've got another three hours of light. I won't need another three hours of light. So I pulled out my battery, my replacement battery to put in, you know, in my light belt and my light doesn't come on. And so I look down and I'm like, well, maybe I have it in backwards. So I pull it out, put it, the battery in the other way. The light does nothing. Pull it out, put it back in the other way. It starts flashing red. The power button starts flashing red, like it's dead. And I charged both of those batteries. Okay. And I made double sure that I charged everything. I made sure they worked. I, I didn't go into this race willy nilly. I went in prepared. Somehow, I don't know what happened. I don't know what I did or didn't do. But that second battery was not charged and it had zero juice, zero power. And I had at this point, maybe like 30% battery left on my phone. And I knew that I, I wasn't sure 30% would get me to the finish line if I had my light on, on my phone the whole way. Right. So I'm starting to panic and I will admit that this time it wasn't just a little, it was like, I, 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 I did start crying a real cry which I felt so dumb, but I got my phone out. I'm like, I don't know what to do. When, when I hit this, this part of the trail, I was 0.39 miles away from 
the last aid station. So I hadn't even come quite half a mile, but almost. I called my coach, which probably freaked her out because I have never called her before. And I knew she was still, well, I thought she was still there at race headquarters because so her boyfriend, I told you around the 100K, he finished about 5 p.m. And she was, I knew from texts she had sent or whatever that she was still waiting for me at the finish line, which honestly, it kind of like stressed me out a little bit because I knew that that her boyfriend had already finished. And I was like, I am so slow compared to him and and she's waiting and he's waiting and he just ran all these miles and, and I'm so slow and you know, all those things that go through your mind. But I call her up and I'm like, and she's like, the first thing she said was, Michelle, you're finishing this thing. You're finishing this thing, right? You're doing this. You know that or whatever. And I'm like, Kylie, my light went out. Ah, my I charged my battery. I promise I did my part. I promise I charged it, but I have no light and uh, and I'm crying. And it's kind of embarrassing now to admit this, you guys. It was like a mini meltdown, I guess. I don't know how else to really describe it, but I was crying and I was like, I don't know what to do. And she's like, do you want me to bring you a light, a headlamp? And I said, no. And, you know, she's like, I can, I can bring you a headlamp to the aid station. And I said, no, I don't want, I don't want you to have to do that. And, and I said, isn't that really far? And she's like, well, I think it's like a 15 minute drive. And I'm like, I don't want you to do that. And I said, so I hear her boyfriend in the background going, tell her to turn her phone such and such this way. And then kind of tag along with another runner. There's people out there. She can tag along with someone and kind of use their light. Well, the only thing about that is, and no criticism, Matt, if you're listening, you're awesome and I appreciate you. So no criticism, but I'm just explaining this. When you are somebody that runs my pace, and especially at this point in the race, there were not people around. So, I mean, there were, I would come across people, like I said, and people still would pass me, but now it was getting a lot less frequently because it's dark. And all of the shorter distances are done. Most most of the 60K people are done. And now all that's out there are the 100 milers and the 100K runners. They're doing multiple loops and they are just, they're not all where I am at this moment, if that makes sense. And so there are not a lot of people to tag along with. And honestly, there is nobody my pace. So even if I hooked up with somebody that said I could share their light, I couldn't keep up with them if they were running a 10 minute mile pace or something. And and they're certainly not going to wait for me. You know what I mean? So to me, that just, that was not an option. So through my tears, I said, Kylie, I'm going to hike back to the aid station. It's, it's not that far. And I will see if someone has a headlamp. She's like, excellent idea. Okay, do that. Let me know. So I hung up, hiked my little booty back to the aid station. I ran some of the way because I was trying to hurry and she was texting me meantime saying, do you want me to come? And I'm like, wait, I'm almost there. Let me ask, get to the aid station and nobody has a headlamp and they all just kind of looked at me and I'm like, mine went out. I charged it and I, I was probably like a basket case. And they're just like, who is this crazy person that's last and so slow? And I have no idea what they were thinking, but they were all super nice, but you know, nobody had a headlamp. And so I texted Kylie and I said, no one has one. Can you please bring one? She's like, yep, I'll I'll be there. She's like, give me a little bit of time. It's going to take like 15 minutes to drive there. And I said, no worries. 
So I plopped my booty in a chair and sat down and, and told them my coach is bringing me a light. So there was a super nice lady at the aid station named Kate. She was volunteering till midnight, I think. And she came over and asked what, what kind of, um, you know, what kind of battery my headlamp took or whatever, which she didn't have battery cause it's a different, it's a 180 light and it has a rechargeable battery, but she was able to find a charging cable and plug my light in for me while I waited for, for Kylie, which, you know, didn't give it a whole lot of charge cause it, it takes a while to charge, but at least it gave it a little bit of juice. And then a few minutes later, she came back over and she had found this purple beanie in her car that had a little square light on the brim. And it was like literally a light, I would say like one inch by one inch square that you pushed in the middle and, and it lit up. So it wasn't, it's not really for guiding you, you know, on a run, but it was a little bit of light. And she's like, if you're desperate, you can use this. And I said, thank you. I appreciate it so much. I'm still going to wait for my coach if that's okay. And she's like, of course, this is just, this can be a backup. Leave it at the start finish area. I'll pick it up after my shift. And I said, thank you. So sweet, right? So I'm sitting in a chair waiting for Kylie to come. And, you know, it's taking a while. It's taking longer than 15 minutes. But as, and then I'm chatting with the other aid station people and that made meeting a really nice man named Curtis that was volunteering at the aid station and chatted up with him. And, but I hear them start talking about how the next hundred mile or through is going to be Andy Glaze. And then they start talking about his jorts and how cool he is. And so then I get in a conversation. I'm like, yeah, I saw him about 30 miles ago or whatever. He's super awesome. And, you know, we start talking. Well, he ends up coming through and we all cheer him in and I might as well. I'm sitting there on my booty anyways. Right. So I cheer him in too. And I'm like, Andy, you're so inspirational. And he's like, you are. And, and just, just, we started talking back and forth and I was able to get a picture with him and he, and I said, you know, I'm last. And he's like, who cares if you're last, you're out here, like you're doing it. It doesn't even matter if you're last. And he just had like so many encouraging words to me that I honestly felt like at that moment that it was worth it, that my headlamp went out because I was able to meet him and able to realize what a truly kind person he is. Like you can see somebody on social media and you can see somebody that, you know, they're running hundred miles plus a week and they're doing this and they're doing that, you know, but he's, he's so much more than that. You know what I'm saying? He was actually kind. And he, even though I'm nowhere in his league, as far as being a talented runner, that didn't matter to him because he was just a kind person encouraging somebody else out there doing their best. And, and that honestly made it worth it to me that I had to wait, you know, for a replacement headlight, a headlamp. And it made it worth it to be able to, to meet Andy and, and talk to him. It was amazing. And so, and he did his little thing, got his drop bag, and then he was, he headed out again. And maybe five minutes later, 10 minutes later, Kylie pulled up and she had borrowed a headlamp and put fresh batteries in it. I think that it was the race director's headlamp. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and um, she's friends with him. And I was able to use this headlamp and she's like, okay, fresh batteries. It should last you the whole way. Okay. This is a funny part of the conversation. Okay. And I said, so I don't need this BD. And she's like, you shouldn't know you, you're not going to need it. Like these lights, these batteries are, they're fresh batteries. And 
you, you know, yeah, this will get you to the finish seven miles. No, no problem. You know? And she's like, you, you'll be fine. And so, and so I was like, okay. And then she's like, but you know, and, and Kate's looking at us like, okay. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say like, I don't trust at this point. I'm like not trusting that this headlamp is going to get me there because you know what I mean? I want to finish this thing and I've already wasted time, you know, at whatever. So I'm like, well, if you don't mind Kate and she's like, it's a $4 beanie or whatever. She's like, just leave it at the, at the start aid, you know, start finish area and I'll pick it up after my shift. It's no worries. It's you'll have a backup. So I'm like, okay, I'll take it. I shoved it in my vest, turned the headlamp on, thanked Kylie and, and, and headed out. You guys, that headlamp went out probably. So, okay. That was 8 PM. No, no. I left the aid station, I think at 9 PM. I don't know. I'm, I don't know. I might have my time off. All I know is the headlamp went out, I think about 90 minutes in. And at that point I still had four miles to go. I think, let me think Four. I think I had come about three miles or three and a half. And I still had another three and a half to go or something like that. Okay. So the headlamp completely died. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, okay. So I thought I'll try my belt again. So I turned my waist light on and it lit up. And so I'm like, Oh, I'm so glad I let that lady put it on the charger for a little bit. You know, I'm glad Kate thought of that. So I'm running along thinking, man, this is great. Perfect. I'll, I'm going to be golden. But, um, but it was hard and the miles were long and it seemed like again, like earlier in the race, I was not getting any closer to the finish. And it seemed like every time I looked at my watch, I wasn't getting anywhere. And I was, my time was a little bit off. My, I mean, my watch was off because like I said, I had already left that aid station. Then I had to go back to the aid station and then I had to leave again. So my, my miles were off. And so I, I really couldn't be sure how much farther that I had to go to get to the finish. And so again, I was just like, I remember praying so many times, like, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. I'm so tired and I am, I am in pain and I just, I want to finish this thing, but it just seemed like I, I couldn't even hardly picture the finish line. Usually I can picture the finish line and I can think of that feeling that I'm going to feel when I, when I get done. But I, this time I couldn't do that. My friend Holly that I've mentioned multiple times in my episodes texted me and said, how are you doing? And I said, I had a headlamp fiasco. And this was when I still had six miles left. I said, I have six miles left. Um, and she's like, six miles, you're almost done. Woo. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like these six miles are like, they're taking forever. Like every step is like just taking forever. It's so slow. And she's like, well, think about, I don't know what she said. Think about, and I'm like, all I can think about right now is like, I want to go to bed like so bad. She's like, well then think about that, <laughs> you know? And so I just, these miles crawled you guys so bad. So the headlamp went out. I'm using the waist light. People are passing me. Um, I had to go to the bathroom like 10 times during this whole race, probably off to the side of the trail. And this guy, these two guys passed me as I'm standing on the side of the trail. I had just turned my headlamp, my waist light off. Cause I was going to have a pit stop on the side of the trail. And they're like, are you okay? And I'm like, yep, 
but just taking a pit stop. Okay, good. Glad, glad you're okay. And um, yeah. So anyhow, then I, what did I do? Let me think real quick. I'm still having a hard time processing all of this and I feel like I'm leaving out so many things and yet saying so many things that hopefully aren't useless. Three and a half miles from the finish. I didn't know I was three and a half miles from the finish. I get passed by a lady and a man and she was an ultra running coach. I found out later. I didn't know this at the time. She was with her pacer. They were walking past me and I said something. I said, do you guys know how far we are from the finish? And they looked at me and like, are you okay? I said, I'm totally fine. And do you need fuel? I said, no, I, I don't need anything. I said, I'm just, I'm done. And <laughs> she said, and she said, um, you've got three and a half miles. You're, you know, yeah, you're almost there. You're, you're golden or whatever. And I said, okay, well, thank you. And the guy said something like, yeah, just a 5k left you, you're good or something. And I was like, okay, thank you. And in my mind at that moment, you guys, 5k, three and a half miles seemed like forever. And, and like, I was never going to make it. Well, about a mile and a half down the road. So I had exactly two miles left. My waist light went out and all I had left was the beanie, the teeny beanie light, one inch by one inch square and shoved it behind the strap on my pack, tried to make it so it wouldn't bounce because I didn't want to wear, wear it on my head, which I should have just worn it on my head. It would have made for good pictures. And I ran the last two miles with a teeny beanie light, a teeny weenie beanie light, a weenie light, a beanie light, teeny beanie light. And it was so damn not, no disrespect to Kate. Kate, you are amazing. Thank you so much. I could not have finished this race without your purple beanie, but this light was not meant for trail runners to use, to guide their path to a finish line. Okay because I almost died like a million times. There were like all these huge rocks to get back down to the finish line. And you're trying to avoid people because at this junction, it's runners are, are going in both directions. So I'm trying to stay on the right side of the path, but there's all these like boulders that I had to like kind of scramble down and I can't see hardly where to put my feet because this little square light is not showing me what to do. And by the way, right before that happened, I had just seen Adam and Adam is an Aravipa employee. Super nice, such a nice guy. He saw me, he's like, wait, Michelle. And, and turned around, we chatted for a minute and I'm like, he's like, are you good? I'm like, I'm great. And my waist light was still working at this moment. He's, I said, yeah, I had a little snafu with headlamp. He's like, you need a headlamp. I've got an extra headlamp. And I think he was pacing somebody and I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm fine. Yeah. I, I wish, Adam, I wish I would have taken you up on your extra headlamp, but I didn't. Anyhow, it wasn't too long after that that my, my waist light died. So anyhow, uh, you guys, I did various things. I took this beanie and I would like try to aim it different ways. And I would try to click the light to see if there were any brighter settings. And I would aim it at the ground and I would aim it ahead. And I would just, it slowed me down a lot, but I ran to victory with this teeny weeny beanie light. And it got me to where I was in a spot that I could turn it off, tuck it back in my pack and run that horseshoe into the finish line. 
And I think I started again, got tears in my eyes when I saw the finish line, because you got, if I could, if, if I've done a good job of recapping this race, you will know at this point that I was, I really truly did not know if I was ever going to see the finish line. And when I finally saw the lights of the start finish area and the tents and the Arabipa sign and the finish line, I was, I was overwhelmed. Okay. I could not believe it. So I run to the beginning of the loop of the horseshoe, right? And I hear Shroffy pants. <laughs> I was like, I knew the voice was Mike McLean. And <laughs> he was at the aid station and he was yelling and he was cheering me in. And then all the cowbells start. And then you go through this, this horseshoe shaped thing. It, like I said, it's probably a quarter mile. And you, and I was like, I am not walking. I am running this whole horseshoe. And I just slowly ran my way in when I got to almost not quite the end of, of the other half of the horseshoe. Um, one of my favorite race directors ever, Katie Davis, she comes running up from the side and she had a cowbell and was cheering for me. And she ran me, you guys, into the finish and she veered off right before I crossed the finish line. And she was so encouraging and so sweet. And she was telling me how she was so excited when she realized that she was going to be the one that was going to be there to, to when I finished. And she was so sweet. I just love her so much. I, I love doing her races. And it was so special that she ran me in. I was, I just love it. And we got video of it too, which is so cool. My friend Amanda was able to get a finish line video, but Katie ran me in. I crossed under the finish line and I think you can hear me saying, I did it because I, I, I didn't even think I was going to do it. I didn't even know how I was going to do it, but I did it. And, and then it was like shock. Like, I don't think I even could hardly believe that I really did it. And I had a choice between this super gorgeous mug and uh, a medal. And I could not decide. And the two volunteers that were giving out the medals and taking pictures and stuff, I think were Amanda and Brenda and Amanda I've met before. And so sweet Brenda, that was the first time I met. And she said, she follows me on Instagram. It was just like so fun. And I, Amanda gave me this huge hug and said, I didn't have to decide right away that I could choose if I wanted the mug or the medal. And then Jesse, I can't remember his Instagram name, but he said he's really good friends with Sally McRae, yellow runner. And he took about a million pictures of me in my yellow hat and <laughs> asked me to take the headlamp off so I can see the hat. And I said, okay, took the headlamp off so he could get different pictures of the hat and, and finally decided on a medal so that I could do metal Monday today. And I just, I don't know. I, I still feel kind of overwhelmed with, the fact that I just ran my third ultra marathon. <laughs> it was really, really hard, you guys. It was, it was really, really hard. Even though I trained for it, and even though I feel like I'm pretty gritty and I feel like I am very stubborn, I still wasn't sure I was gonna finish this race. I still was not sure I was gonna do it. And somehow I did. And I did a lot of praying and 
posted some updates to Instagram, saw some of the me- of your messages that came through. Of course, I couldn't read them all at the time and my phone would have died, but I was able to see enough to know that I had all of you in my corner rooting for me and I didn't want to let you down. And I also didn't want to let my coach down, but most of all, you know, I didn't want to let myself down. And I knew that if I didn't finish, I would absolutely regret it. And of course, I do want to say that if I needed to, to quit, if there was a, a real reason, if, if I was hurt, if there was just a reason that I needed to quit, there's no shame in, in, in that either. You know, you, you learn lessons every time you get out there. But this time, I'm so thankful that I was able to finish and so thankful that I can say that I've, I've run three ultra marathons. I mean, me? it's amazing. And I'm just so grateful for all of the support from every single one of you. Cold water rumble 60 K I finished in 16 hours and 32 minutes and 33 seconds. The fastest person to run the distance on Saturday was like four hours and 30 some minutes. I took 12 more hours than that person did but I still finished. I still covered the same distance that he did. And I pushed through some really low places and was able to somehow, somehow do it. And I I also just want to say that I think that ultras are hard for everybody. I think that, that running is hard, you know, for a lot of people. I, I don't think that that it's easy for anyone. And so I don't want to poo poo the efforts of those, of those front runners and of the winners and the podium finishers. I think they're all amazing, very talented people. But I, I do think that there is something to be said for being out there for so many hours and not that I'm better than anybody else, but, but it was brutal. Um, it was grueling and it was a really hard course. I think it was a lot harder than last year's course and it was difficult and it was rocky and it was technical, but I'm thankful that I was able to finish another race. I'm thankful for all of the well wishes and all of the support. And I have to acknowledge that God helped me. And I know you may not agree with that, but I I, I truly believe with all my heart that I couldn't have done it without his help. Um, I asked him for help multiple times during the race. And that's how I live my life is by asking for his help every single day. So, you know, running is, is part of, of my life and it's part of living. And so I acknowledge that God helped me and um, that I, I, he just helped me, you know, and I do feel like I do draw strength from him. And so I absolutely have to acknowledge that. And of course, my coach, Kylie, she did not get to stay for the finish, which is totally fine. I told her, Kylie, go home. When she brought me the headlamp, I said, go home. Matt finished at 5 p.m. It's nine o'clock. Go home. Like, seriously, I will finish. I promise. She's like, oh, I know you will. But I have to acknowledge that she's helped me so much with my training, with my mindset, with just being encouraging, even though she's a really fast runner and she's amazing and so talented and I'm not, she is always so encouraging to me and so supportive and helped me. And I'm so glad that she was there when I had the headlamp fiasco that she hadn't left yet and was able to bring me a replacement. I'm so thankful for that. And 
I'm so thankful that, you know, Mike was still at the aid station when I came through. He was able to come and say hello and yell shroffy pants when I finished. It was exactly what I needed to hear. Amanda was there to give me a huge hug. Katie was there to run me in. And you all were there throughout the day to message me. And I appreciate it. I appreciate every single one of you. And this community is unlike any other. And I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for all of your support and it's just amazing to me. So that has been my recap of Coldwater Rumble 60K. I ended up running a total of, I think it was 37.67 miles or yeah, 37.67 miles and the farthest I've ever run. And as far as how I feel today, I feel pretty good. Um, I'm tired. Of course, I got extra sleep last night. I'm still tired. Um, I've been, I don't feel super hungry today. Yesterday, I, it kind of went in and out. I would get really hungry and then I would just not be able to eat very much. And, and that's just kind of how it is for me. I don't typically have an appetite after a long endurance event. I, I don't typically want to eat, um, but I know I need to. So after cold water, um, after I chatted with everybody, cause I just can't help myself, I was able to go to the aid station and get, they had a mashed potato bar. And so Hannah, which is another one of my awesome Aravipa staff member friends, <laughs> Hannah was there and she gave me mashed potatoes and I put black beans and corn and bacon and cheese and yummy stuff in there and ate that on the drive home. And she gave me a can of lemon lime soda, cold, best lemon lime soda I've ever had in my life. I think it was Shasta. <laughs> it was the best thing I've ever tasted in my whole life. After running a race like that, it was cold. It hit the spot. It was amazing. And I'm trying to think what else I want to add. Oh, no blisters, no injuries. The, the, the only thing that I have is I, I did chafe pretty badly and I chafed under my pack kind of in my bra area in the back. I have no idea why, because it's been a long time since that ha has happened, but I got pretty bad chafing back there. And then under one arm, I've got a probably a one inch spot with a big scab where um, I got some chafing from my hydration pack. And other than that, just your normal, some soreness um, in my feet. I have a wonky ankle that I wear a brace on when I run and that foot always gives me, you know, some that always takes longer to feel normal after a, a long race. So that, but no blisters. And I would like to think that I found finally that, magic thing that works for me. <laughs> so I told you before, I think about right socks, W-R-I-G-H-T. I got them at REI. They have helped me tremendously. When I ran past mountain, I still got a blister, but instead of blisters across both of my feet, the width of my feet, I had a little dime size blister after wearing those socks. So this time I was determined like, can I, can I get to where I get zero blisters? So I use squirrels nut butter the, what is it called? Happy toes. And I smeared that on the bottom of my feet in the area where I typically get blisters on my foot pad and on the pad of my foot, I smeared it under both feet, put on my right socks, put on my shoes, my gaiters and all that. And after 38 miles, I have no blisters on either foot. And so I'm so extremely happy about that and no running for me until maybe Friday. I might try a little short run 
um, or a walk, a bike ride or something. But other than that, over and out, I love you all. Thank you for being here to listen to my blathering, super extra long episode and hit me up with any questions, concerns, comments, anything stupid I said, tell me if I need to correct it. Let me hear your feedback. If you want to know anything about anything that I talked about today, hit me up on direct message on Instagram at Waddell Running Lady or email me at funoftherunpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Next up is Mesa Marathon 26.2 on February 10th. That's about three weeks and we'll see what happens. Thank you for being here this week and I hope that you will join me next time. I finished recording this episode a few hours ago, but I want to pop in real quick and just add a couple more things that have just been bothering me through the day that I forgot to share. I typically run alone on all of my training runs and I typically run alone during races as well. My experience at Pass Mountain in November was the first time I had ever had a pacer for a race. And it was also the first time that I had run with anybody during a race, if that makes sense. Um, There was another lady, Patty, that ran with us, with Chris and I. And so there were three of us for the first loop. And then the second loop was just Chris and myself. That was the first time I had ever experienced that for the race, for a race. And I remember during that Pass Mountain recap telling you all that my, my lows were not as low as Chris was there to kind of talk me out of them and and help me through those, right? Well, I'm used to running races alone. And so I went into cold water this past weekend, totally comfortable with running alone. I mean, I've done it every race I've ever done. I've been alone. I've never run a race with someone else. I've never, I mean, I'm not talking like my cold water cold water, my cold turkey run I just did with my daughter. We, yes, we were together the whole time. That's different. I'm talking about a race race. I I don't know how else to describe it. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I wasn't racing cold turkey run. I was, my daughter and I were just out there to have a fun time together. I don't know how to explain it. It's different, but I went into cold water knowing I was going to be alone and I was fine with that. I was totally fine with that because I've always done it that way. And And the idea of running with another person has always stressed me out. And, you know, that's why I don't go to group runs and stuff. I've only gone to a few and I I don't like the thought of holding people back. And I know I can't keep up with, with anybody else, honestly. So with the situation with Chris and I, I didn't have to keep up with him in that sense. He was, he was keeping me going to the finish line, but I knew that, you know, he wasn't going to have me doing something crazy that was out of my scope of possibility. I don't know how else to describe this. Okay. My whole point in telling you this is I can't believe I'm saying this, but during cold water, I (laughs) would have been so thrilled to have somebody to run with, especially during those last seven miles to the finish line. I remember thinking, how amazing it would have been. Now, you know, I wasn't allowed to have a pacer for a 60 K, but I was thinking how amazing would it have been if like at that last aid station, if my coach could have just jumped in and said, Hey, I'm going to run the last seven miles with you. And yes, she would have had to walk some of it and whatever. She would have hated it. Probably. I just remember in my mind thinking it would be so nice, like to have somebody to be with during those super dark 
difficult miles because I knew they were going to be really hard because I had already had a difficult day. And so all I can think of is that I've, I think I got spoiled by having Chris Morrison pace me during Pass Mountain because my lows weren't as low during Pass Mountain as they were during cold water. You know, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Cold water, I've had worse lows than I had during cold water, but I had several more during cold water than I normally have. And I only had myself to rely on to pick me back up out of those dark places. That's a good thing in a way, because let's face it, most of your, most of the time you are going to be by yourself. You know, I mean, I don't know very many people who always run a race with someone else. I I know they're out there because I have heard of them, but in my specific situation, I run alone. So it is good for me to be able to pull myself out of those situations. So I don't know for what it's worth. I, I do think that I would absolutely be open to having someone pace me for another race. I think I would be absolutely open to having someone help me out <laughs> instead of just automatically saying, no, 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 I, I don't want to rely on anybody or I don't want anybody to hold me back, uh, not hold me back. I don't want to hold anybody back. I don't want to have anyone have to wait on me or know how slow I truly am. I do feel like going into cold water after Pass Mountain has definitely changed my perspective on having someone to run with. Not, not during training runs. I still like those by myself, but I think definitely during a race, it would be super nice to have someone to m- maybe pace me on those longer distances. So I don't know, just food for thought. Um, I never thought I would say that. I can't hardly believe that I'm admitting this because I am such a reserved solo runner, but I definitely could have used a friend during those last seven miles just going to admit that. Take, take from it what you will, do with it what you want, but I am admitting that. 